Our uh, scripture this morning comes also from John 15, but verses 1 to 7. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you, remain in, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thank you, Megan. Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning. Congratulations to those of you who were just baptized. That's fantastic, both for you and your friends and your parents and others that are here. Welcome. Glad that you could be with us today as we worship. We're continuing a series that we began last week looking at I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And so that's where we're at. And we're looking today at John 15, what Megan just read, and in particular, uh, this word from Jesus, I am the vine. So please take a moment, pray with me, and then we'll look at Scripture together. Father, uh, we're grateful to gather within these walls this morning, grateful for your presence with us, grateful that in the midst of all that is going on in our lives, both individually and in families and uh, collectively in our culture and our nation, there's a word here this morning from you inviting us to uh, quietness, confidence, peace, and rest. I pray, Father, that you would teach us, but not only teach us, uh, we pray that uh, we would take steps in response to your revelation, that we might be transformed into people, resting in the fruitfulness that you bring in our lives. Guide us there, we pray, in the name of Christ, who is our hope. Amen. Uh, in my left hand is a genetically modified apple. Can you picture it? In my right hand is an organic apple. Here's the, here's the truth in almost every case. This, the uh, GMO apple, larger, shinier, and cheaper. Hence, smaller, duller, more expensive. And then, I say to you, choose your apple. And many of you in the room, if we didn't know any better, we would choose the shiny thing. We'd choose the, the uh, genetically modified thing. However, if we knew something, and this is not a sermon on environmental stewardship or farming, <laughs> but if we knew something, we would understand that the, to sustain these apples, they need to be supported by the use of manufactured fertilizer put on fields and the runoff from said fertilizer results in the destruction of species of fish and the polluting of the water table. In other words, as one scientist writes, genetically modified crops and their associated herbicides harm birds, insects, amphibians, marine ecosystems, and soil organisms, reducing biodiversity, polluting water resources, and are ultimately unsustainable. Done. So choose the dull apple is the moral of the story. However, the point here, the larger point is this. Uh, we like, as humans, to manufacture fruit. We like to make things, right? And so when we come to this text, there's two options in front of us. One is manufacturing fruit, others abiding. 
And so when we're talking about spiritual fruit and we're talking about manufacturing fruit, here's what I mean. All through the history of the Bible, you find that God's people have tended to shoot their arrow, run and find the arrow, and then paint a bullseye around it and say, that's fruit. You know, it's who I am already, that's fruitfulness. For example, uh, the sons of Jacob, the 12 brothers in, in Genesis, uh, in the book of Genesis, you find these 12 brothers in essence saying several times, hey, we're fruitful because we're chosen by God. In other words, God chose us. What more, I mean, what more do you need than that? That makes us fruitful. And in reality, it doesn't make them fruitful. They weren't manifesting any of the characters, uh, characteristics that they were called to manifest, but uh, they thought they were fruitful. And sometimes in a, in a hyper-Calvinist society, the same problem can occur. Oh, I'm chosen. And so that's all I need to know. I'm chosen. I'm in. And it creates a bit of an arrogance sometimes, a bit of an I'm in, you're out mentality. It's, this is not where we want to go. On the other hand, uh, when you come to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking to a group of people who had defined fruitfulness by their, their activities. People said to Jesus, Jesus, in your name, we preached, we taught, we cast out demons, we performed many miracles. Jesus says, get out of here. And then here's, in the, here's Jesus' indictment. I never what? I never knew you. Fruitfulness isn't doing. Fruitfulness is relationship. You need relationship. But then you skip ahead to Matthew chapter 25, and here's Jesus. He's, he's separating what are called the sheep and the goats. And when he talks to the sheep and he says, come into my kingdom, this is what he says. Here's why you get to come in, because I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison and, and, and you visited me. And people say, well, Jesus, when did we ever see you naked? And Jesus said, well, as soon as you've done it to anyone, the least of these, you've done it to me. The kingdom and fruitfulness is about doing. <laughs> and those of you who didn't do, get out of here. So Matthew 7, it's not about doing, it's about knowing. Matthew 25 is about, not about knowing, it's about doing. Genesis is about being chosen, but it's not about being chosen. It's about displaying. What is it? Displaying? Knowing? Doing? Yes? Yes. Yes. It's all of those things. And the point of it being all those things at a level is to kind of get us to relax because here's the deal. You can't manufacture fruit. You can't take a piece of fruit into the, into the chem lab at UW, uh, break it up into its constituent parts, and presume that if we just get all these chemicals together, we'll make fruit. You don't make fruit. So we come to John 15. If our calling is to display nothing less than the character of Jesus, and that's what it means to bear fruit, we're also called to cease striving. It's not supposed to be work. Cease striving, Psalm 46. Also, in quietness and confidence will be your strength. You don't have to, you don't have to boast about it. You don't have to measure it all the time. You can, you can rest, Matthew 10, 11, rest knowing that you are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, fruit will happen. So that's kind of the thesis here this morning. And God has always seen fruit as this, this very, very important uh, man manifestation, kind of the ultimate manifestation of what it means to be the people of God is to be fruitful. I mean, back in the Old Testament, when Israel enters into the promised land, the spies go in and Numbers chapter 12, they come back, they say, it's an amazing land. Look at the fruit, gigantic fruit. That means God's with that land, right? And then in Isaiah chapter five, when Israel is departing from God's plan, God uses the metaphor of a vineyard to describe God's desire that Israel be fruitful. 
And God says, look, you know, I bought a vineyard and, you know, I dug up the soil and I got rid of the rocks and I, you know, I fortified the soil and then I planted the vine. And the whole reason I planted the vine was that there might be good fruit in the end. And instead of good grapes, what? Bad grapes. And then God asks a question of Israel. He says, look, if you had a vineyard and you invested in it and you planted vines and the vines produced lousy grapes, what would you do? <laughs> and the answer is obvious. Well, we'd start over. We'd rip those up and we'd put in new vines. And then God says, exactly. You're called to bear fruit. And then uh, this prophecy that the vine will be, quote unquote, ripped up begins to be fulfilled in the book of Joel where literally like five uh, swaths of locusts come into the land. And if you've read Joel chapter one, it's amazing. You're going to locusts, they eat some grapes. Here comes some more. They eat some more grapes. They eat the leaves. They eat, you know, they eat the branches. And they eat and eat and eat and eat five times so there's nothing left. And then it says, once the grapes have been stripped of the vine, it says, the whole land will mourn. Everybody mourns. And then uh, Joel gets particular. The farmer will mourn. Why? Well, obviously, no income. The, the, the bride will mourn. Why will she mourn? Well, what's a, what's a good wedding without wine? right? As in John 2, you see that, Jesus turning water into wine. And then it even says, the drunk will mourn. <laughs> Obviously, right? No grapes. The drunk will mourn. So everybody's mourning because there's no fruit. And fruit, this is the point. Fruit is the point. Like Jesus didn't save you, so you had to go die and go to heaven someday. You're actually in a relationship with Christ. You've entered into the water of baptism for the reason that you might now be empowered by nothing less than the resurrected Jesus living in you to display a life that is representing the heart of Christ because it is the heart of Christ uniquely displayed in you. That's fruit. And you're called then to bear much fruit, John 15. All of us are. So how do we do that? Well, three, three C's this morning will take us there. The call to abide, Right? The, the, the next thing, the certainty of pruning, and then finally the confidence of fruit. Three things, I'll try and go through these quickly, but maybe I won't, but I'll try to. Okay, so here we go. Call to abide simply means this. This word abide in John 15 has to do with staying connected, right? So abiding is the responsibility of the branch. Here's Jesus, I'm the vine, you're the branch. And the one thing, it's the active verb, the one thing you need to do, abide, Right? In other words, you need, as a branch, to continue to receive from the life that is the fruit. You have to continue to receive. And if you don't receive, what happens? Well, then, uh, if, if you don't receive, then you won't be able to produce life. We live in the midst of the forest, and so at Christmas time, you know, we cut off a bunch of evergreen branches, and we put them on the table, and it all looks beautiful. But it, the branches, as soon as you cut them off, they're dying immediately. They look good for a little while, but they're cut off. And the thing is, what Jesus is saying here is you can go to church, you can read your Bible, you can look, you can look good, but the point isn't to look good. It was never the point to look good. The point isn't to, isn't to fill your brain with the Bible, memorize Isaiah, all that stuff. You don't have to do that. The point is to look like Jesus. And there's only one way you can do that, and that is to be you know, radically connected to the vine. That's it. And then, sometimes, we're connected, but we're not connected to the vine. We're connected to other things. And so we're receiving, but we're not receiving that which is life-giving. And this is a gigantic problem in our own culture. We're, we, you know, we're receiving, but the things that we're looking to as a source of life and hope and meaning, the things we're looking for, I mean, we're receiving from, you know, worldviews, consumerism, nationalism, individualism, 
workaholism, you know, addictive behavior. So we're receiving, but we're receiving things that aren't giving life and they could never give life. Religion can't give life. So yeah, how do we, like, how then, practically, do we draw on the resources? If, if we're the branch, Jesus is the vine, how do, I, how do I receive? What does that look like? I'm going to take you to Psalm 1 to show you that this morning. So turn to Psalm 1. This Psalm was really, really an important uh, part of what God has to say to teach us how to be fruitful. There's a critical verse that shows us how this is related to John 15. It says in, in verse three, that he who does these things will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, always yielding fruit, yielding fruit in season, right? So I want to be that tree that's yielding fruit. How, how do you do that? Well, uh, the thing you want to see here when we come to Psalm 1 is this. In verses one and two, we're kind of told at the beginning what not to do. He says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. So at the beginning, God is saying, you want to bear fruit? Well, then don't be flitting around thinking that consumerism or nationalism or individualism or socialism or communism or capitalism or republicanism or democratism are going to be the answers for you that are going to make your life meaningful. You're not dependent on the GDP or the employment numbers or who's in office to bear fruit. You don't depend on whether you're single or married, whether, whether, whether you're six figures or five or four or three. <laughs> it's not the issue. Like fruit isn't contingent on the things that we obsess about and pursue often. And so blessed is the man who, who isn't flitting around dependent on outside conditions to live a meaningful life. Instead, there's a different way, right? And the different way is to be like this tree here, uh, and, and the tree is described as one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on God's law, this one is meditating day and night. That one is like a tree firmly planted by water. So, so uh, there, there are trees that are always, always in, 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 in season and lush and vibrant. And the reason they are is because they're planted by the water. You see? And so they're all, they have always at their, at their disposal, they always have water. And I grew up in Fresno, California, and I used to go fishing uh, in the kind of San Joaquin River just outside of Fresno a little bit. And so, I, you know, you drive out there, and if you, I don't know if you've been to the Central Valley or not, but it's literally desert. It's not, it's not an exaggeration. It's a desert. It's a, I don't want to say a bad place, but it's not pretty, okay? But then, you know, you get out to this, you, you come, you're driving out of town, you get about five miles north of the city of Fresno, and here's the San, here's the San Joaquin River. It's glorious. I mean, there's trees lining both banks. Death everywhere, and then the river and trees. Why? Because the trees have access. They have, they have access to life-giving water. And so what God is saying here is you have access. You have access to the life-giving resources of the resurrected Jesus. You must consciously, this is abiding, you must consciously receive, continually receive the resources that are Christ. Therein is fruit. Therein is transformation. Therein is everything you need, right? And you're not called to stay in one place like a tree. That's not the point of the metaphor. You don't withdraw into a cave as a monastic and just you know, pray and read your Bible. That's not it. No, no. The point is that the, the river that is Christ's life is everywhere. So Christ's life is available to you 24-7, everywhere you are. Available at Seattle Pacific, available at UW, Seattle U, Amazon, Microsoft, Boeing, uh, you know, Starbucks, and the better independent coffee shops, everything. It's all, <laughs> Christ is everywhere. 
And so you don't, like, you don't need to say, you know, if I change to a different environment, then I'll find Christ. No, Christ, you'll find Christ wherever you are. This is a hope, a promise in Scripture. But you need then to consciously receive, right? And, and then the kind of question becomes, well, okay, how do I do that? How do I consciously receive? And the thing is, I've got to learn here, there's a, there's a word here that's almost synonymous with abide in, in uh, verse 2 of Psalm 1. It's the word meditate. Now, what does it mean to abide in Christ? It means I'm meditating on, on Christ. I'm allowing the, the words that are Christ to become the life that is Christ for me and to saturate my, my being. This is, this is meditation. And, and meditation is different than Bible study. I just need to, I'm very important I say this. Nothing wrong with Bible study. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're taking notes. But don't confuse this with meditation. Okay? Meditation is this uh, churning, in a sense, over and over again of Scripture. And not for the point of memorizing Scripture or you know, defending your faith in some way. Or none, none, that's none, none of that. No, no. The reason I'm meditating on Scripture and churning on Scripture over and over again, I'm receiving Scripture so that I'll be transformed by receiving this life that is Christ. Jesus says in John 5.39, in an indicting way, some of you searching the Scriptures think that in the Scriptures you have eternal life. Subtext, the scriptures don't give you life. Like just because you've memorized your Bible doesn't mean you're transformed. So the most kind of arrogant, hot-tempered people that I know know their Bibles quite well. Point isn't knowing your Bible. It was never the point. The point is looking like Jesus. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, I've got to learn here. I've got to discipline myself. His delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So here's the first thing. I've got to change my appetite. What am I going to feed on? And I've got to learn to feed on that which is life-giving. And some of you in the room, if you're like me, you, you've, in your physical realm, you've made bad food choices in the past. Anybody ever done that in here before? You've eaten something, you know it's lousy. Before you even eat it, you know it's going to be a disaster. You eat it anyway. I did it again this week. You don't need to hear it because I already preached about how bad it is. But I did it again this week, you know, driving up to the mountains, and I was just hungry. I was just hungry, and I wanted food. And the cheapest, fastest stuff is available, you know, 10 nuggets for $1.49. And then, <laughs> and then uh, because I know I'm going to feel bad about it, a shake as comfort food. <laughs> Done. And I, and I go, I know I'm going to regret it, but I don't even care because I'm hungry. And then, you know, and then I eat and I regret it. And, and, and after a while, you go, done, enough. I can't do this anymore, right? And so uh, the, the, the one who's blessed in Psalm 1 isn't flitting around eating, you know, ideological, philosophical, spiritual junk food, feeding on stuff that is not life-giving. But instead, he's like his senses are trained. That's Hebrews 6, a mature person. Our senses are trained so that we learn to delight in what God is revealing. That's the deal. So, so let Christ's words abide in you. Well, how do you do that? Well, you need, a, you need a habit. You need a habit of letting Christ's word abide. And this is meditation is a habit. In the scriptures, meditation is a habit. So what do I mean by meditation? Then? What, does that, what does that happen? I think everyone needs to figure this out on their own. We're not a large monastic community where somebody on high says, here's what you will do. However, I'll just by way of example, share with you how I meditate on scripture because maybe it helps you meditate. I don't know. 
But I wake up in the morning because feeding on Christ is important to me. I wake up in the morning and I have good coffee and I have my journal open, I have my Bible open. And I read through the Bible, I just read through a little bit of the Bible every day. Generally a chapter in the morning. In my case right now, I'm in Ezekiel this morning, chapter 34. God's, you know, throwing judgment at various nations. It seems more on the surface, but if you dig a little bit, it's actually pretty interesting stuff. But that, so I do that, I write a few things down, I, I pray over my day, think about the day a little bit. But then the meditating part is this. In the moment, I'm meditating on the 23rd Psalm, the first two verses. Some of you know that already, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Does anyone know the rest? I shall not want. And then the next thing, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. So like four statements. And what does meditating mean? For me, this is meditating. I literally, I slow down and I breathe a little deeper. And then on my inhale, I say, the Lord is my shepherd. And I th- think about it a little bit. And then I exhale. And I inhale again. I say, I shall not want. And I continue. Green pastures, still waters. Some people in our kind of evangelical world have a huge problem with this. They're like, are you kidding me? That's, isn't that vain repetition? Like, you know, saying something over and over and over again. No, it's not I mean, read the, read the Psalms. There's a bunch of psalms that are filled with vain repetition, right? And, and, and God says things over and over again. Why does God say things over and over again? Because they're important. And then what is meditating? It's thinking about the same thing over and over and over again. Why? Because it's important. And so as I meditate, uh, there are mornings when I can't get beyond this. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and I'm so moved by that very thought. Because I'm a sheep. And as a sheep, I'm afraid. As a sheep, I need direction. As, as, a, as a sheep, I'm lonely. And the Lord is my shepherd, are you kidding me? And then someday I get to go on to, to, to the second half of the first verse. Therefore I shall not want. Who doesn't want? Those who know that the Lord is their shepherd. And this begins to saturate you. And here's the thing to see, you're changed by it. You're changed by it. Oh, Richard, come on. I don't have time for that. Oh, yeah, you have time. Like, you're... Whatever you say is important, it doesn't really matter what's important. You, I know what's important, just show me your calendar, that's what's important. Show me how you use your time. You have time, you have time for 10 minutes in the Psalms. So we begin to meditate, you see, and, and, and allow these things to, to, to transform us. And what we learn from this is as we, as we do this, we find the, the immediate fruit of this is a greater capacity for gratitude, a greater capacity to be present with people in a patient way and a greater capacity to do one thing at a time. Those all happen immediately. I know I, my meditation practice is waning. Uh, uh, like a presenting problem is this, when I start losing stuff. And this is true of many of you in the room. Your life gets so fragmented that you don't remember what you are doing two seconds ago, right? And then you say to yourselves, uh, where are my keys? I don't know where my keys are. And you're like this, I have to leave, and I don't have my keys, and if I can't leave, then I won't get to my work. If I don't get my work, I'll be written up, and then I won't get my promotion, and then my house can be repossessed. Where are my keys? <laughs> I have my keys. And then, you know, we're panicked. We need, we got our keys. And I was just looking the other day for my keys. And I looked, you know, in the car, in the door, in the trunk, in the, in the drawer where I put my keys always, they're not anywhere. And I, and I was so frustrated. I said, leave. I had to leave. And they were in my pocket the whole time. <laughs> like, oh, my keys. They're here. They, oh, look. Wow. That's amazing. What's wrong with you, Richard? Here's what's wrong. Too many things. And I'm so fragmented that I'm not present in the moment. Do you see? 
Well, med- we're, you're invited to meditate, and the fruit of meditation is fruit. <laughs> like as we meditate, we're transformed and we become fruitful. So this is the call to abide. You need a meditation practice in the scriptures. Second then, as this happens, there's a certainty of pruning. Uh, what Jesus says in John 15 is every branch in me that bears fruit, he, he'll prune that branch so that it might bear more fruit. This is totally counterintuitive. Why would God take stuff away so that we could have more fruit? Because if there's too many branches, then the nutrients get diffused into all these various, not branches, but in our own lives, various activities and priorities. And if you have 30 priorities, you have no priorities. <laughs> you see? And so Jesus prunes in order that we might, in order that we might bear fruit. And, and so he's teaching us two things. He's first teaching us to receive all that Christ has to give us. He's training our appetites. And then he's going he's gonna to shed activities in our lives so that we're more focused on what matters. Both of these things are very important. My appetites need to be trained. In Ezekiel chapter 2, beginning of verse 8, going through Ezekiel, the third chapter, verse 3, Jesus, well, the Holy Spirit has a scroll and says to this guy, Ezekiel, he says, here, Ezekiel, take this scroll and eat it. It's a, very, it's a fascinating story. So Ezekiel has this vision. He says, so I opened the scroll, I read it, and on the scroll it read, listen to this, lamentations, mourning, and woe. Now, who wants to eat that scroll? Like, how's that scroll going to taste? No, I don't want that scroll. Hey, uh, God, could I have, you know, peace, prosperity, and abundance for my scroll? I'd love that. No, no, this is your scroll. Eat it. So what does Ezekiel do? Well, he's obedient. He eats it. And it's very powerful. I ate the scroll that I didn't want to eat. It's like eating broccoli for some of us. I ate a scroll that I didn't want to eat. And this is what he said. And it was sweet as honey. Why? This is truth. Many of us are preemptively rejecting what God has to say to us because it doesn't fit our existing worldview. Hey, you came to Christ not so that Jesus could confirm who you already are. You came to Christ. You underwent the waters of baptism so that progressively you'd be transformed into who you aren't yet, right? And if I'm going to be transformed, then there will be times when Jesus absolutely deconstructs right where I'm at. It'll happen all the time. He'll change, Christ will change your politic, your, your relationship with money, your relationship with sexuality, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat your friends, how you treat your enemies, everything changed. <laughs> if we eat the scroll, but we have, to, we have to eat. And of course, another part of the pruning, as I already mentioned, is this discipline of things being removed from our lives. When a tree is pruned, parts are removed. And a beautiful story that illustrates this in the Bible is Mary and Martha. And some, some of you know the story already. If you don't, there's these two ladies and they're at a party and, and uh, Mary, Jesus teaching a little bit, and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening and absorbing, right? And what is Martha doing? She's doing everything you need to do to put on a party. And any of you in the room who put on a party, you know this work, right? Got to keep the candles lit, got to bring the cupcakes into the room, got to make sure everybody's glasses are full. You know, everything's got to be just right. And so uh, Martha's wandering around, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, and then Jesus at a point, he looks at Martha, and he, this is what he says to Martha. He says, Martha... You are worried and bothered about many things. Now, I'm just going to tell you, this is a weird story. And many people in the room who, who have gifts of doing practical things and serving people don't like this story. Because here, here you have busy Martha. And you got Mary just, Mary's just sitting there. What's Mary doing? Oh, you know, Bible study. 
well, you know, what the holy people do. I mean, Mary's, you know, she's really there, you know, memorizing Ezekiel, all that stuff. She's awesome. And then, oh, look at, look at poor Martha, you know, busy in the kitchen, you know, and cleaning the toilets. And come on, Martha, sit down. That's not what Jesus is saying. Let's sweep that away. Here's the, Jesus' complaint isn't with what Martha's doing. His complaint is what's going on inside up here, right? What does he say? Hey, you're doing wrong stuff. We don't need cupcakes. Jesus doesn't say that. No, I like cupcakes. <laughs> no problem. Here's the problem. You're worried and bothered. What does that even mean? Worried. Here's the Greek word, merimnao. The root, to be divided. In other words, here's your problem, Mary. You're doing, in the midst of what you're doing, up here, you're thinking about 40 things. Can anyone in the room relate to that? Oh yeah, this is our problem. We're thinking about everything and not even thinking about the thing we're doing. And, and then uh, he says, no, you're worried about many things, but you're bothered. Well, what, what do you mean bothered? Well, when you're thinking while you're doing, rather than thinking about what you're doing, then you begin to think about things that are really, in a way, even outside your sphere of uh, influence. And you begin to say, why is it this way? And you get annoyed. You're bothered. Classic example, you're in traffic. You could be, you know, looking around praying for the people next to you, maybe. Maybe that's too holy. But you're just, you know, you're ruminating on Psalm 23 or something. Oh, but no. Instead, it's traffic, and you're looking at your watch, and you're like, are you kidding me? How is it, you know, 1.15 in the afternoon, and I'm in a parking lot on I-5? What? Does no one work anymore in normal hours? Why, why are people on the freeway at all at this hour of the day? I don't even understand it. And then you realize, oh, here's why. Because 200 people are moving into our city a day. Why are 200 people moving here? I don't like that. We used to have a bowling alley in Ballard. It's gone, right? Replaced by condos with no parking. Where are we going to park? And like, you're worried and bothered about the mayor, about the parking, about the city, about homelessness, about the GDP, about who's you know, in office in the highest thing in the land, about the tweets of that man. You're worried, 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 and bothered, bothered, bothered. Stop it. I'm not saying that. Jesus is. There's a better way. Oh, what's a better way? Mary's the better way. And the point isn't that Mary, the point isn't that you sit at Jesus' feet all 24-7. That's not the point. Everybody has different gifts. But the point is, what you do should come out of being radically connected to the vine. In other words, I've received from Jesus in the way that I receive, and now I'm serving in a way actually that is life-giving and with joy. And so some of you then, I mean, will be very busy still, busy, but in our busyness, there will be a peace that wasn't there before. I'm actually now living in the mountains busier with mundane tasks than I've ever been in my life. In the summer, we, we need to cut four cords of wood. And th then I need to split that wood. And I need to stack that wood in the sun. And that entails moving the wood during the summer several times. And I have to move it all under the deck in the fall. And I have to haul it up from under the deck and light the fire in the morning. And, and, and you know, Zen Buddhists say, haul water, split wood, and be happy. Well, I never thought that splitting wood could be such a great spiritual discipline. But it actually is. 
Because in the midst of that kind of busy activity, rather than worrying about everything in the world, it's a beautiful time to meditate and to tr- seek to do this very simple task in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? So it's not about whether you cook or do accounting or do marketing or, or uh, exegete Greek texts. It's not the point. The point is, are you connected to the vine? And you are connected as you learn to meditate and as you prune, you let go of other stuff so that you can make a prayer of receiving from Christ. And there's times when our lives will be pruned in ways that go completely against our will. Illness is pruning. Job loss is pruning. Moving to Los Angeles is pruning. You're pruned. Relax, you'll bear fruit. Finally then, the last thing is this. The way that, I love the way Jesus says this in John 14. I'm just gonna reread it for you. Excuse me, John 15, so that you can hear it. Uh, This is what he says. Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, you can't bear the fruit of Christ unless you're connected to Christ. You can do stuff, but you can't, you won't look like Jesus unless you abide. Now, here's the deal. Here's the promise. He who abides in me and I in him, as a promise, bears much fruit. So the, the beauty of this is that as I develop habits of meditation, on scripture, Psalm uh, 1, continually receiving from Christ, then I can live with a confidence, a confidence that there will be fruit. But I cannot stress this enough, this is so important, the, the, the nature of the fruit, the timing of the fruit, the scope of the fruit, that's God's prerogative, not yours. Do you know what I mean by that? God says you'll be fruitful, but maybe not today. Oh, you know, I meditated, I still have a temper, what's up with that? Keep meditating. The fruit comes. Yeah. No, just keep going. You stay with it. Hey, I meditated, and I'm still meditating, but look, my sphere of influence is tiny. Well, maybe that's your fruit. Don't worry about it. Many of us are very profoundly unhappy because we've decided that we need to be in a different field, bearing other fruit. You don't need to be in any other fruit field unless God moves you. God can move you, though. If God wants to move you, God will move you. In the meantime, enjoy the fruit that God has given you. You see, I have a friend who runs a Bible school and uh, he's oft anxious because uh, the enrollment never reaches capacity. And he's like this, man, if I was really nailing it, we'd be full every year. And he focuses, I gotta nail it, more, I need more fruit. Well, on the other hand, in the summer times, this place is full and, and kids come from all over the country, they come to camp and many of them come who aren't Christians, and then they come to Christ. And so there's a powerful fruit all summer, but, but this guy's like his own self-referential definition of fruit, I want a full Bible school. And he's unhappy because of this thing. I, it ought to be this, and it's this. And many of us are both personally unhappy, and we're judging others because we look at their lives, and, and the fruit that they're displaying isn't right. Who made you God? You don't know what God has for fruit. My mother-in-law, I think, displays the character of Christ in profound ways. She's 90. And I'm learning from her that aging is difficult. But I'm learning from her that you don't have to whine about it. She, I mean, she's very positive. And not just positive, but she sits there all day. And she lives with us. And so I know this. She sits all day. And she crochets 
blankets for babies and kids and some adults with them too. But she crochets these blankets and they always have like a penguin or a duck or a rabbit or something on them. And so yesterday, there's two girls up in our neighborhood that I ski with on Saturdays sometimes. One is nine and one is 13 or so. And they came over because she had made two blankets for these little girls. And so we presented with the blankets. These girls are grinning, you know, from ear to ear. And this is my mother-in-law. This is what she does. You know what? In my opinion, and I'm biased, but she looks a lot like Jesus. And, and she hasn't memorized Ezekiel, not even yet, at 90. You know? Couldn't tell you all the different views of dispensationalism and covenant theology. None of that stuff. She's actually doing what's more important, which is what? Looking like Christ. So that, so that Jesus says at the end of John 15, hey, I, why I tell you all this stuff? So that your joy may be full. I'm, ca- I'm calling you to quit striving and worrying and being bothered. I'm going to relax, receive all that I am, and then let the fruit happen. And however it happens, rejoice. Because that fruit that comes from sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving all it is, that fruit is fruit that will last. Amen? And all of us have next steps to take toward this end, so please pray with me. Father, uh, some of us need in the moment to Develop habits to sit at your feet and receive and listen and meditate. In a, and in a busy world, many of us resist this and our mind resists it. We'd rather do than receive. Some of us have never received you. I pray that wherever we are in the spectrum, Father, you'd meet us here now and speak to each one of us the power of your Holy Spirit regarding a step that we can take to follow you in order that we might bear fruit, in order that you might be glorified, but significantly, in order that our own joy might be full, that we'd move from striving to peace, from, from you know, working to produce it, to allowing you to do what you delight in doing, expressing life through us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.